Hey, this is James Lomenzo from The Mighty Megadeth, and you're listening to Hook Rocks with my good friend Jay Scott. It is Jay Scott. It is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate you stopping by. As I always mention, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, the excellent, great, awesome network of music-related podcasts. You can check out my friends like Vinny Apice and Carmen Apice on the Hanging and Banging Podcast, Tom and Zeus on the Shout Out Loudcast, the number one rated KISS podcast, the legendary DJ out in Boston, Mistress Carrie, the rock historian Martin Popoff, Mac on the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast, as well as Chris and Aaron on Decibel Geek. So check out all those and more. There's something for everyone on Pantheon, depending on what your musical taste is. You can find them on PantheonPodcast.com and on all social media platforms. Just search up Pantheon Pods, just like you can search up The Hook Rocks on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to write us a review wherever you podcast. We are available on all platforms like Apple, Spotify, and Amazon. And you can check out the previous 400 or so episodes. We've been doing this now for three plus years. So give us a listen. Set your app to automatic download so you get the latest episodes right to your phone. And you can enjoy all the previous episodes as well. We've had some great episodes recently, some great new music spotlights like The Ravagers, Bourbon House, The Issue, The Warning, Ignescent, and plenty of others. We just interviewed Tuck Smith as well as Tyler Bryant. We did a great live album review with UFO, Strangers of the Night, White Snake Legacy Show. We celebrated our three-year anniversary with Stephen Piercy from Rat, and we celebrated 400 episodes with members of the Groove Council, a close-knit internet twitter group that uh shares new music so a lot of the stuff that i post and a lot of the bands that i interview really kind of starts from that groove council group uh as well we all contribute with each other in terms of new music that's really turning us on and we want to turn you on as well so check out that episode and recently we just did the building a home recording studio in 2022 we had our resident audio expert skylab come on to discuss what you need where to start and why it is the most economical feasible way for a new band or artist to record music so check out that episode as well if you're interested 
And uh, Skylab always brings it when he talks about whether it's earplugs at concerts, whether it's headphones, whether it's streaming services. He knows all about that audio stuff. He's always great to have on. We've got another great episode for you today. Another new music spotlight with a band that has been really kind of under the surface now for the last couple of years, releasing some really great music. They just released a new EP the God, this past month, I was able to get the limited edition vinyl, which I was extremely happy to get. And I think great things are ahead with this band. They're from California. We're going to be talking with the lead singer, Mikey, from Desert or Talking Shadows. What's up, man? How are you? What's up? I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I appreciate you doing this. As I always say, thank you for the time and uh, look forward to getting to know you and the band here over the next 45 minutes or so. But as you know, if you listen to us, we always start the same way every time we have a new guest. And that's really what we're about with this podcast. It's really learning everyone's music journey and where it started. And the question to you is just like every rock, every rock song that has a hook, that hooks you in. Every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked you on rock and roll. What was it for you? Yeah, you know, um, like, and I thought about this question all week, and I'm like, you know, what was the real the real first one? I, I would kind of credit Aerosmith, and I guess it would be more so not really towards um, seeing them or hearing them, but, but there was a certain moment when um i've always loved music like i would i would actually i would go more towards uh maybe like a van halen or guns and roses when i first heard like those kinds of bands i was like oh my gosh you know what i mean these guys are incredible and it really it pushes your soul like oh man rock and roll is you know that's exciting but um for me what like really hooked me into i guess wanting to play uh is is the song walk this way i performed it a long time ago in a theater uh my um the music school i was going to and just the feeling of being up there playing that song i did like an improvised solo at the end i i never looked back i got off stage and i was like you know what this is what i want to do and for me it was that moment even though that was obviously i i had been playing uh i think i wasn't i didn't um it didn't hold me as well uh up until that point um and uh i was into other stuff like football i'm still into football but i uh that was when the moment i was like oh man i'm hooked (laughs) you know i'm playing the guitar so i would give it to aerosmith yeah so when you think about that moment with aerosmith and the next step like where it went from there where did that journey continue to um honestly it started we just i started playing right away uh, i think the next the next moment would be um you know i had a i had a shoulder injury so i quit football i'm like all right i'm gonna do this uh this music thing i'm gonna choose to do that and i really just absolutely loved it and enjoyed it to the point where i was in my room learning every single like guns and roses song solo anything you could imagine um like 12 hours a day in in my room uh, during the summer. And then from there, it's like, you know, let's make a band. And, uh, that one, I guess, you know, the band Royal blood, I listened to that record. I'm like, there's only two of them, you know, I, I can do that. So I've like got my little brother. He played drums at the time and, uh, we tried to make a band we played some shows and, you know, we started just like everybody else. And, and, uh, we played to like, you know, first like four people and 
in a coffee shop. Then it was like, you know, 20 and then I was all the way up to like hundreds, you know, it's, it's like we just started building and, uh, and playing a lot. So that was kind of like the next step was, you know, learn all these songs, learn my style, what I like. And then how can I get on stage and play with a band? Cause that's so exciting to me, you know, even still now it's so exciting, you know, was there a performance that you saw that one make, made you want to perform, get up on stage? Um, you know, there's, there's been so many, I, I still get those kind of like feelings even now. Cause I've always feel like I'm learning, um, just by watching and like, like the other night I, I saw the gorillas and it's like, every time I see an act I've never seen for the first time, even though I've heard their music a million times, it's like, it's just gets that much more exciting uh, for me to get up on stage. Cause I'm watching them going, Oh wow. They did this and that and that. And um, I mean, back then, back then I, I really, I went to a lot of slash concerts. I went to, I did see like Van Halen a couple times, Aerosmith. And seeing those guys and the way they interact with their band members and, and with the crowd, um, those all stick out to me as like, as like big moments, um, in learning and also just like creating, uh, creating music on my own. It's like, oh my gosh, this is, this is what you can do with this instrument. You know what I mean? And, uh, and then from there, you got to push it to your own style, push your limits, you know? So, uh, I would say some of those, some of those bands in the beginning. You know, the fact that you play guitar and you sing, was there an, an individual musician that influenced you because of doing both? Yeah, you know, um, and I'll give uh, two answers for this because answer number one is uh, I I was sitting going, okay, I just uh, left a band where I was just singing and uh, I was thinking, Okay, well, I'm learning to sing now, and I never wanted to. Um, I always just wanted to be the guitarist in the back, you know, kind of rocking out. Um, I always just wanted the frontman. Then I became the frontman. I'm like, okay, well, if these guys can do it, and by these guys, I mean like, you know, Joe Walsh with the James Gang. Um, I'd say Eric Clapton and uh, Kurt Cobain, Nirvana. Those three, like, really gave me the confidence. Oh man, these guys they all can, you know, play and sing and, and, um, do these things at a high level. I, I absolutely was like, let me base my band on those three, um, you know, guitarists and singers, songwriters that I love. And then on the other hand of it, I was hanging out with, um, my buddy, Jared James Nichols, who I owe a lot to in my career so far. Um, so shout out to Jared. He's my, my big bro. <laughs> um, he told me one time, if you can learn how to sing and play at the same time, write your own songs, no one can ever stop you. Like, despite whatever may happen, you know, with a lineup or whatever, like you can, you can do this, um, long term. And it seems, it seems fully true, uh, on my account. So I've been, I've been really blessed, blessed to be able to, to, uh, work hard on my voice and my singing and the songwriting. Oh, sorry, voice, guitar and songwriting all together. So. I've had this conversation with my son because he plays guitar and I've always told him and my friends that are musicians have told him that he should learn how to sing because it'll oh, yeah. make himself so much more attractive to a band. If he can do, oh, both. Yeah. you know, if he could sing background and he can play lead, yeah. you know, he, he, he's so much 
ahead of his competition in terms of who they want to be in the band. I mean, obviously you got to play, but if you have the chops in terms of singing and guitar, you'll always, you'll always have a gig. Yeah. I mean, think about Beatles, think about Van Halen. They all sang background. It's like, and obviously in, in um, the Beatles case, they all sang lead too. So you think about some of the greatest bands of all time and it's like, Oh man, they, they can do everything. And that's why they're that big. You know, there's nothing really to stop them. Uh, so it's always exciting. Those Van Halen background vocals are just still mesmerizing. I mean, I've been listening to Van Halen since I was seven years old. You know, for 40 years, I've been listening to that band. Yeah. And I'm still, I still shake, shake my head when I hear this guitar crunching, you know, swagger with this band that has like these Beach Boys, Dave Clark Five background <laughs> vocals. It's yeah. so like, and it's never been duplicated. It's never been. Um, I mean, people try, you know, people can sound like this band or that band, but there's never been a band that sounds like Van Halen because it's yeah. just so hard to duplicate just with the guitar playing itself. Right. Eddie's playing. Yeah. And then the background vocals and then this over the top front man who, you know, was like this, uh, you know, with God, you know, whatever he was, but, yeah. you know, and then I, Alex laying down the drums and even what they went, even when Sammy joined, you know, Sammy could sing like hit, you know, with the range that he had. And, and then you heard the background vocals in 5150 and it's just still, I, I don't, I mean, everyone talks about Eddie's guitar playing and of course they should because he's an amazing guitar player, Yeah, but people do talk about their background vocals, but I don't think they, they ever, put an equal sign with the background vocals on the rest of the group. playing and yeah. the way they were able to merge that together. It's so unique. Yeah, exactly. And you know, cause I, I'm such a fan of music. I study like this kind of stuff, just like watching and, and learning. And what I noticed a lot with David Lee Roth is he'll sing all the verses, all the bridges, but the choruses are mostly, you know, um, Eddie and, and Michael. And sometimes, I think sometimes, Alex, I, I can't remember off the top of my head because I think sometimes he had those little mics right here. But uh, I know the other two for sure. They will always sing the chorus. Um, when Sammy came in, it was a little a little similar, but there's still some parts where he, now Sammy's able to sing, you know, the choruses. Not that Dave couldn't. I, I think that's just their, their style. Yeah. And it's just, it's just so, um, it's so cool because it's like, you know, I've always wanted to try something like that. We haven't gotten a song there yet, but you know, we are. I've been telling Dietrich, our drummer, I've been like, "Yo, you gotta, gotta, gotta start singing." And uh, he's been doing excellent backing vocals. So we're working on, on, uh, you know, doing kind of stuff like that, but in our own way. Well, and like you said, no one will duplicate, you know, those guys because those guys have their own sound. You know? And it wasn't just a product of being in the studio. Those guys could do it live. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, when I, when I saw Eddie, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a better guitar solo live. You know, it's just like, cause you, you always hear the stories of, you know, that, and obviously he could play, but you always hear the stories about the, um, the way that he would write his, his, uh, solos would be kind of chopped up and then he'll go and learn them, uh, after they comp it together which is really not easy to do anyway. But um, then for him to go out and just like improvise something. And now you see why, okay, out of those six solos that he put all together, he could have just left one and it would have been better than like 
almost any other guitars you'll hear, you know what I mean, in that era. And it's like the, the, the little details and the little, like one more, one more, like always trying to push yourself. That is what makes Eddie Eddie and why, you know, they probably all were that way. Cause obviously you can't have it to where you're not all perfectionists, you know, it, it's gonna, people are gonna get upset, you know, <laughs> at each other. So yeah. I think they were all, uh, yeah, really good at that. Yeah. And the, and the fact that he was such an amazing rhythm player too. Oh yeah. And the fact that he could go from rhythm into a solo back on beat within into the rhythm again, you know, I, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that he was a drummer and a classical trained piano player before he picked up guitar. So oh, yeah. he knows timing, he knows rhythm very well. And you hear those early records where they're just recording Eddie playing the rhythm into the solo, into the rhythm again on, on a beat. Like, like he doesn't miss a beat at all. It's just mm-hmm. truly amazing. Like there's no like rhythm, cut the solo rhythm. It's just him playing all the way through. They, that's how they record those early albums. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. I, I uh, honestly, I envy that, that time because I, I really don't enjoy listening to things that are like, you can tell, okay, they had to stop and, you know, do it properly. I, I mean, on the newest record we're recording right now, we did it to where we played live through and, uh, and I didn't have to, I practiced enough to where I didn't have to do that. I, I could do it the Eddie way, just like play it all the way through and we kept it. And, um, yeah, I was, I was very proud of it. And so I, I'm really, I'm really glad that that music exists, like Van Halen and all those kinds of bands. Cause like, you get the real craftsmanship and you know when you're going to see them that you're not getting anything less than a hundred percent, you know? So, and uh, yeah, yeah, they're an excellent example of that. So your writing style, your lyrical style, where does that come from? What's the influence behind that? Honestly, it changes uh, quite a lot. Uh, Cause I'm, when I started out, I mean, everything, everything that I write is about, my life or something I see around me, a friend, whatever, you know, it's all true. Um, but I guess on this newest record on Masato, we, uh, as we were writing the songs, I really wanted to kind of dig deeper on, uh, lyrical content because foreshadowing, it's got some good moments, but, uh, I just thought, ah, I could have done a little better on the vocals. Like to me, it was, it was like, I didn't give enough of myself, I guess. I was looking more about the outwardly um, view of like whatever was around me. So this time I went more introspective and uh, yeah, I really, I'm really proud of how it came out. I mean, there's songs in there like don't blink that talk about, you know, um, how to handle your kind of when you're kind of like that, um, the way I just explained about Eddie, like when you're a perfectionist, Sometimes it tears everybody kind of apart for a second, uh, but you know everyone really has to understand that it's all for the greater good. And so, in in the case of that song, you know I'm really proud of those lyrics, kind of because of the way I phrased things. And um, but yeah, I, ta- I taught myself pretty much on the lyrics on how to just kind of convey them, and uh, I, I continue to push myself to you know find better words, find better rhymes that most people don't use, you know, because. <laughs> uh, you know, a million fucking sad, bad, glad in the world, you know, but you know, if you rhyme, uh, I remember a couple albums ago, not, not with this band, but I remember one of our producers said that he liked this one. Uh, uh, I never knew you were plastic. 
but my heart just got its ass kicked, something like that. Like just something ridiculous, but it it really you can tell it's like an Eminem style, I guess. Um, and I always keep him in the back of my head too. So, <laughs> so is it difficult going from observation to more introspective style of lyrics? Um, no, because I I feel like I've come to really uh, know myself, and the better that I know myself, you know, I'm I, it's easier to see you know, what's going on and also with other people too. Um, so it's easier for me to dig deep into myself, especially, you know, I like to give, uh, with our music, give a little bit piece of who I am and who we are. So, you know, there's been instances where, um, and these songs aren't out yet, but, uh, Dietrich, our drummer has written lyrics, um, Jack's written lyrics and, um, yeah, we just all kind of put in really, really vulnerable, things and it's always the best songs in the end um and yeah ever since this record Masato, i've really just kind of dug deep uh for the next record too and and moving forward i, I think a lot of this stuff is going to be very very introspective very um the way i see things some will be still more ambiguous but it's all coming from what i believe and how i see the world so the music different. usually sets the ambiance of the song, right? The lyrics is what people hear and, and they, and they, well, they hear the music too, but they, they connect with the lyrics a lot, but the music, which creates the tone of the sound or the, of the song, um, it has to fill that, that, that connection with the lyrics and, and being yep. both the guitar player and writing the lyrics. How do you, how do you merge that tone that fits the lyrics? You know, it, it really varies, um, which is the classic like, cliche answer, but it is true. Uh, when, when we craft something, usually I'll know exactly um, what I want to write about. There's some instances where it takes me a second, you know, it takes me maybe a week or two to really think about it. But um like on Carousel for this record, I knew exactly when I heard Jack's bass line. We actually, uh, a lot of times I'll mumble things in the room just to get them out, kind of stream of consciousness, like uh, Scott Weiland from STP used to do that. And um, so in the room, you know, whatever came out, which was for Carousel, I stuck with for those choruses and the uh, the pre-choruses and the verses were the last thing. And I was like, okay, I can tell already where I'm trying to go. So let me just let it out. And uh, I sat on this one hill with my acoustic and I just, I wrote the rest of the lyrics out and it was, um, it's a pretty easy process once. Yeah. Well, like, like you said, once you hear kind of where the tone of the song is going, I try not to let it be too formulaic. You know, I try not to let anything be too formulaic. I've been around some bands that are like, Oh, I got to write this song for the radio. I got to write this for this reason. And I'm like, fuck all that like <laughs> i write it because i love it and if i love it i know someone else will love it um and uh yeah i just i just really believe in w when we hear like like for example um automated i can tell from the way that we wrote the guitar part and just the overall energy of the song it's got to be more somber lyric um in that case though i could have written it probably about you know something more somber worldview but i went i chose to go more about me in, in a romantic setting um somber in that in that case and i really love how it came out because that's 
just what felt natural. So a lot of times I just go with what feels natural on, uh, on any song. And, uh, hopefully I don't think about it too much. Sometimes I, I get doubtful about the words I'm using. I'm like, ah, let me change that one out. It's too basic. So, but, uh, overall it's, it's pretty, um, pretty natural. Yeah. Is it important though, for that, for the music to match the lyrics? I mean, some people, I mean, we've all heard those songs that are kind of like have this happy go lucky type of style. And then the lyrics are really dark. Where do you, when you're creating a song, how do you gather all that together or what, you know, how do you develop a vision for the song you're writing? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I think the vision all starts like a lot of the times when I'm in my bedroom and I'm writing a song and, or writing the, like the riff, I'll just, I'll just be laying back just like this, uh, watching something and kind of just, I'll stop when I start to hear something I'm playing. That's really interesting. And, um, when, the point where it all connects is like when you start to get that verse going into a, a next section. And when that next section, usually when I hear that, it dictates um, the overall energy of the song. Even sometimes, you know um, what, what the feel of the drums and bass should be like. Sometimes I don't bring those ideas in cause I trust my guys to nail it. And they're, they're amazing. Cause they, I mean, you know, as a band, you have to really have chemistry. And uh, we have such chemistry. They, a lot of the times, will put things on there that, without me telling them, that are exactly what I saw in my head. So sometimes the vision's just um, very, very much uh, like organic and and beautiful in that sense. Because like with Carousel, once again, we were just doing a jam, and for whatever reason, those lyrics came out and. Uh, and that the the way that I guess um, to answer what you're saying because you're saying man, kind of like the mood of the song, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So because um, you're right, a lot of a lot of bands do put like some you know darker lyric over a happy thing. I guess when I do it, I I do it very sarcastically. So um, yeah, a lot of a lot of sarcasm sometimes in a uh, in a happier song, uh, and other times. Other times with the heavier songs, it's like, it's got to be dark. Other times it can't be too dark because then it goes into like that metal territory. Not that we give a shit about genre, but we don't want to like, we don't want to be overly heavy when we're not, um, when it it feels a little like forced, you know, we always, always want it to be very, okay, this is what we're, what I'm talking about. Let me just stick with that. See how it comes out, you know? When you talk about foreshadowing, as you just mentioned, you feel like you could have done things better on that album. Is that something that when you reflect on it, you feel that versus when you're recording it? That's that thought process that you mentioned earlier is not there yet. Yeah, exactly. And so the the whole um, the whole vision around foreshadowing is like i'm a big fan of of nirvana so like i know that their first record bleach um it really showed like what they can do songwriting wise what they can do um with the energy like heavy and and uh go that route and in each record we're you know we're very much like i guess more so like queens of the stone age where each record will sound a little bit different in style but it's all it's all us um so with foreshadowing our ability i guess wasn't as um 
honed in as it is on Misato, and you can hear it in the playing. I mean, Dietrich's a monster, and some of those, you know, kick drum patterns and whatever the hell he's playing uh, are, you know, ten times a step up from foreshadowing. So that's why I kind of I don't I don't ever mean to put that album down because I do still like that album. We all do, and a lot of people still love it. Um, but the difference in ability is what I guess I'm talking about. And there's nothing I could, as you said, like maybe it sounded I was very regretful, but um, maybe to contradict myself. I'm. I wish we were at a higher level uh, for those songs, but the plan really was to put it out so that people can hear us, know who we are, and we can go get some gigs. Uh, and then for this one, it was more like honed in as far as this is who we are, this is how we want to do things from now on. Because um, when you listen to this record, it's like you know one part to one part, and they're not really straightforward, except maybe you know don't blink and automated. Um, and it just opens up the possibilities. And of course, uh, ability, like what we can do. Um, well, that's kind of the essence of being an artist, right? You, when you're recording something, you have to believe in it. However, when you're moving on to what you're doing next, what you're doing now, you look back in a, with a different set of eyes, yep, a different thought process of what you can do to be better as a band, as an artist. And of course, that's when you start to pick apart the flaws of what you well, what you believe are flaws yeah. in order to get the more out of the band, the more out of yourself mm-hmm. when you're creating. Is that a true statement? Yeah, very true. Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of artists feel the same way because they, they'll look back and they go, oh, man, I don't like to listen to that record. This is when that happened. But there's also the other perspective of like that was that time so it's really cool to hear like what we were in that time um but to hear the growth is just so exciting it's like in in about one two years time you know how much we grew is very very exciting and even the next one like how much we're growing in just one year apart from Masato, obviously it just got released but we we recorded a year ago um is is very exciting so i definitely I definitely think that the snapshot stays there of that time. And, and that is a Kirk statement that you made. Um, at the same time, it's like when you're moving forward, you're, you're really, um, how you say, um, when you move forward, you're, you're happy for it, but you're also like, okay, now it's on to the future. Like, let's move forward. Like we don't have to worry about, you know, like we're we're probably not going to play a lot of those songs anymore. We're going to play, you know, the Masato songs because that's where we're at now. Kind of like the most Mars Volta kind of do the same thing. That that band. I think a lot of fans don't understand that concept, and you know, when they go see a band live, they want to hear the songs they know. Well, based on the on what's happening in the current state of rock music, there are really very few hit songs, right? Yeah. So. When you go and you develop a set list for what you're doing and you're into what you're now, of course, you're going to want to play what you what you're into, like where you're at with the band. Yeah. Like you said, you know, foreshadowing is a great album, but you're not there anymore. You've moved on. It's in the rearview mirror. So it's kind of hard to get into that headspace when 
you got new material coming out and to, and to go back. I mean, the days of, of bands being like Van Halen, we talked about in Eagles, where they've got char- songs that are charting on not mainstream rock, but like actual top 40 billboard. Yep. You know, those days yep. are, those, those just doesn't happen anymore. So, you, you know, you're, what happens when, when bands would have those songs, it almost would be like they become hostage to playing those songs over and over and over again because that's yeah. why we're going to go see them whereas a band like desert of talking shadows and other emerging bands they have the freedom to really play what they want right i mean of course yeah. you you judge things by streams now and and you have those numbers but at the end of the day you mm-hmm. really have a lot more flexibility in a set list than you would normally have 20 years ago 30 years ago when bands had to play these songs. And I remember the quote Don Henley said, you know, in order to be in a rock band, you got to have a high talent, high tolerance for the same thing every night. Yeah. I mean, we've had to play our song cold art floor quite often because people love it. And so when we don't play it, they get kind of uh, disappointed and we don't want to disappoint anybody. You know, we love the people that we play for. Um, but some shows, it's like, I'd rather play a different slow song. You know what I mean? Um, I'd rather play, you know, maybe uh, automated because that's a little slower. It does pick up, but it is a little slower. So in the set that night, it might feel better for that song. Um, and like you said, if we're in, because we're not huge yet, we can do that. I do believe one day when we're that big, it's going to be a little tough because then people will get pissed off. You know, and word travels. If you don't play your hits, you know what I mean? And you don't have to play them every time. Kurt hated playing Smells Like Teen Spirit, and so he wouldn't. they wouldn't play it sometimes. Um, but that's why I believe you have to be such a great songwriter that you have multiple hits, so you don't have to worry about playing the same ones. And I think that's a great thing about bands like Eagles. Um, I would throw, like, Red Hot Chili Peppers in there, uh, who I saw multiple times on their tour. And they played a different set every time. And I was so happy because they didn't just play, you know, the same hit. They played a different hit. And I'm like, I'm trying to be in the stadiums like that because then I could play whatever the fuck I want. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's more exciting. So the new album is out. Uh, It's called Masato. And it's it's a great EP filled with great songs. And yeah. And, 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 you know, the packaging of the, of the album was really cool. I know my my uh, son, when I gave him his copy, he was like, they look like rock stars on this album cover. <laughs> so that was, you know, I mean, for, you know, that's the perspective of a 17-year-old, which is cool, right? That's, that's kind yeah. of what we want. But what was the approach to this album? We've talked a lot about moving on and moving forward and, and evolving as, as, as an artist, evolving as a band. But when you guys meet and you're putting together the songs and maybe people bring different songs or different ideas to that initial meeting when you're going over what you wanted, the roadmap to the album, if you will. Yep. What was the, what was the roadmap for this album? It was, uh, you know, I believe it all started with, um, carousel and, um, this, it was, during it was all during like the COVID time. I, this is not a COVID album. You know, I don't like to talk about 
all that stuff because it's depressing and who cares? You know, it's like now it's now. So, um, I want, I always like to make a record that feels like it could be for any, any time because it's so personal, you know, cause people have feelings. And so if you just, if you write about what you're feeling at the time, someone will have bound to felt the same, the same thing, you know, down the line, um, which is so great about some of our favorite, um, uh, timeless records, you know? So even though it's written, uh, in that space, because everything stopped, everything introspectively, you can kind of look at yourself and go, well, I have nothing to do. So I have to work on how I feel, you know? So, um, basically that's how it started. And one day when, when, uh, Jack was jamming that riff, uh, with Dietrich, I walked in from, uh, the other room. I picked up my guitar. I just started singing, uh, and, and playing those chords. And so it all started with carousel. That was the first, um, piece of it. And I believe after that, I mean, at the time I was listening to a lot of like Arctic monkeys. So that's how like hourglass came about. Um, I really love Arctic monkeys and I was like, you know, they have a lot of songs that dynamically really change with just vocal rather than instruments. So, um, and they have the instrumental, uh, ins- instrumentation, uh, dynamically, uh, change throughout some of their songs too, but there was a certain, um, vibe I wanted on it. And so that's how kind of hourglass came to be. It's like a Bowie mix with like Arctic monkeys, um, automated or don't blink came third. Uh, and then funny enough, the first record, uh, the first song and the sixth song, empty hearts and falling through fables were both last. Um, we had the four songs and we were like, okay, uh, it's done. And then I was sitting going, I don't think it's done. Like we need an opener, you know? Uh, cause Carousel was originally the album opener. So we wrote another song, Empty Hearts. That one was one of the most fun to write, but also one of the most difficult cause there's so many options that could have went in, you know, with all the riffs and all the changes. Um, so yeah, that became the opener to the album. And then finally we're in the studio doing the demo, uh, before we went into the real studio and it's in a different tuning. It's in, uh, um, it's in all standard except the A string is dropped to, to G. So it's just dropped that full step. And I was just messing around with this riff. And, uh, you know, whenever you're in a new tuning, it's like super inspirational for a guitar player, bassist, whatever. It's like, oh man, that's exciting. So I'm messing around with this riff and falling through fables kind of came out the main riff and then the verse riff just like out of nowhere. And then same thing. We're in the, we're in the room rehearsing and we're like, you know what? I think we need a sixth song guys. So sixth song was uh falling through fables. And that was the whole roadmap. Pretty much. We, we didn't really sit down and say, do we want to make new music? We just, we started, we write all the time. I mean, we write almost every time we get together, we get together three times a week. So it's like, you know, it's a lot of songs and, uh, but that's what you need to be in desert to talk shadows. You need to be, uh, you know, ready to write and ready to play. Cause music's, the most important thing in all of our lives. So, you know, why not do it to the full potential? Um, but, uh, last thing I'll say about that is the cover artwork. Cause you're talking about like, uh, that your son thought that we looked like rock stars, which is super cool. We did a, as you'll see on the insert, we did a photo shoot in the desert specifically for promo for the record. And I just saw it in my head about the, like a vision about, um, the chair and the stopwatch 
or the pocket watch, sorry. And um, just kind of what we all looked like. And our photographer is so kind, a friend of Dietrich's, a uh, super nice guy, Mike Farrell. Shout out to Mike Farrell. Um, he took the beautiful picture in the desert. Uh, that's And that picture is unedited. It's literally that we got the lighting so nice and the perfect time. Um, and then I sent it to our good friend, Aya Owens, who also another shout out. She's an amazing illustrator, uh, out in Japan and she did the cover artwork. She did the, uh, cartoon, um, like of us. And I really, I wanted it to look like Wolverine, uh, the comic. And, uh, and so that's why you got the strip up top with the name and then the, uh, the Masato, um, uh, what's it called? And, uh, a kanji in uh japanese up there and, and each each symbol on there it symbolizes a song on the record so i thought that was fun how does that all get created is that something that when you're discussing the roadmap of the album that's part of it or does that develop as the songs are being recorded um a lot of times it all comes together because like uh when we start to write, sometimes I'll get a music video idea right away or, or, uh, you know, artwork or a, uh, you know, whatever. So I believe this time around we had, I want to say we demoed a couple songs and then did the shoot. Um, but, uh, once we start deciding that it's going to be a record, that's when I say, okay, it's time to figure out artwork. So I'll say to the guys, Hey, do you guys have any ideas? Or if I have one immediately, um, I'll, I'll start to immediately find someone that can bring it to life. Uh, so I think the thing about the, the one thing that did come after a little bit was when we decided, um, on the way to the shoot, when we decided in the car, uh, about the comic book strip, I believe me or Dietrich said, Hey, why don't we put a symbol for each song on the uh, front cover? And there's a band I really like called the kills that did that for, but they did it in like a tattoo way where they went to this tattoo shop and each song had like a, a certain symbol. And so all the fans just got their favorite song symbol on their arm or whatever. So I thought that's so cool. So, you know, I was like, don't blink as the eye, we got the spotlight on the whole thing. Um, that's from one of the lyrics in automated. You got the kanji for Masato up there along with the carousel. Um, uh, for for carousel and then uh what's the last ones empty hearts that one again could kind of be the spotlight or the kind of the symbol right here with the uh with the watch hourglass has the hourglass and that's that's pretty obvious and then falling through fables that's the one that to me it almost this record almost turned out to be almost like a um concept record even though it wasn't intended um so to me, Falling Through Fables kind of just is the whole, it's the encapsulation of the record. And that one technically doesn't have a symbol. I would just say that the cover is the symbol, <laughs> you know, so. Now that the album's recorded, it's out. And you have this body of work that you're developing, you know, with foreshadowing and now with the EP. Where is Desert of Talking Shadows going next? Like where... You know, obviously you want to get out and support the album, but with all this happening, what is the goal here in the near future for the band? Yeah, well, the goal um, really is to con continue to grow uh, 
our fan base and, and continue to, um, obviously improve our, uh, our production and the records that we're making. So, I mean, it all kind of encompasses together, especially for a young band like us, um, that the better that we can become and gain more fans, the more the fans support us, we make more records. And the real next step for us is touring. Um, which will be next year. We're, we're going to book, um, some small little tours, anything that we can. I'm, I'm looking into buying a van and, uh, starting to get everything rolling. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything from booking agent to record label. Um, so if you know anybody, put, put the word out, uh, because I'm telling you right now, we have great vision for this band and, uh, on every single song, every single record, what we want, you know, and what, you know, a lot of artists don't have visions. They just kind of go into, you know, a place where they think, oh, I've made it. And then everything's kind of like thrown at them. And they're like, I can't just do something that or do uh, less work than I was doing before. For us, it's like, no, we expect to do more work. We expect to do everything we can to make sure everybody knows our names. So that's the next step is making great music, getting on the road with it. Um Taking Masato on the road, I cannot wait to play these songs, man. They're so they're so fun. We've played them a little bit around town, but we want to play them on on tour. We're gonna we're gonna hit Chicago for you guys, so you guys can can come hang out. That's uh, always yeah. good to hear. That's uh, fantastic news. But isn't that really the nature of the beast now? Is getting out and playing, you know, yeah. going to play live. The days of you know money hitting your bank account as you just you know sit on your couch those days are gone and it's really the 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 album supports the tour the ep supports the tour these days you know versus the tour supported the album years ago and you know there is a grind that emerging rock bands live in and i have this conversation a lot with a lot of the new bands that i have on this show is is living through that and being a part of that and yeah it's 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 important for a band to be on the same page, all members, and and mm-hmm. all have the same expectation, and not have something that, you know, you show up to be in a band, and all of a sudden you snap your fingers, and it's all happening. There is, in today's day, you really have to, you know, look out for yourself. You've got to, you know, do a lot of DIY, do it yourself. Yeah, very much so. With that, there's frustration because I believe that. You know, good music must be heard. Yeah. But at the same time, I think music in itself, especially rock music, can thrive without it being in mainstream, without it, you know, because I think, and I'm going to say something that may get me in trouble. When you have, <laughs> when you have mainstream rock, that means corporate that means people are getting into it like that shouldn't yep. be into the music exactly and that's when you get nickelback right yeah and you know well i will say no, no nothing to nickelback because i do you know our band actually enjoys a little nickelback compared to like an imagine dragons <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean i, I don't want to i don't want to i think nickelback dragons. yeah because I, I think nickelback has a little better lyrics than like a, an imagine dragons but uh but, uh, yeah, in, in general, I agree with you. Everything on the radio right now just sounds like the same exact thing. And rock and roll is supposed to be about individuality and, um, and just being who you are. So the fact that they all sound the same, I'm like, you're not rock and roll, dude. You're literally taking what the label's telling you and, you know, 
and absolutely, um, you know, just conforming to their system, which if you listen to, what's the serious sex station? If you listen to, uh, Octane. Octane. If you listen to Octane, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. I try to listen to it. I'm like, oh my gosh, each band has the same production, the same type of chorus, the same vocal. And I'm like, why is this like this? But then in the same respect, uh, I'm also happy for it because then bands like me and my band, uh, Desert Talk Shadow stick out a lot more, you know, um, because we don't fit that mold. Um, and in some time, some turns, it is harder to get heard in that way. Uh, but in other terms, I'd rather keep my, um, my, uh, how do you say, my conviction and my, uh, uh, I'm, the words escaping me right now, but the ability to do whatever we want, whenever we want, freedom, and people right? still, yeah, and people still respond to it, um, even sometimes more so than those other bands because it sounds different, you know, um, why don't you think that message that you just said, because it's true, rock and roll is about individuality. It's about yeah. going against the norm, going against authority. I mean, not in a, in a violent sense, but in a kind of in a fuck you sense. Yeah. Why is that message lost on the majority of young people these days? Because I remember that was part of the lore for rock music for me when I was growing up. Right. I mean, the Motley Crue, the, you know, the, the middle finger, the Ozzy Osbourne, the attitude, the, the edginess and that stuff all exists in rock music today, but for whatever reason, rock music can't get its message out to the masses like it used to. And and again, it kind of contradicts what we're just saying. Like, do we want rock to kind of get out to the masses in some ways you do, but in most cases you don't. But I think, is it because younger people have become so programmed by filtered and formula yeah, pop music man. where they don't understand when they, they hear don't. When a, a real instrument being played or yeah, people they harmonizing can't tell the lyrics without auto-tune, right? Yep. Yeah. They can't tell the difference. Like, uh, it, it's, it baffles me because like you said, it, because everyone does it, there's no, um, pe- people don't understand, but like a lot of the times when you listen to something that's not, um, automated, uh, you know, vo- vocal automation with this and that, you really start to feel it and you're like, why do I connect so much to this? It's because they're really singing it or they're really playing it, you know? But when it's all, you know, messed up by the computer, the laptop is playing. You're not playing. The laptop's playing. And so they get so used to that. And it's I get so irritated. I think about it all the time because, you know, um, in our band, we make it a point. You know, we we play everything live. We do everything that we have to do to rehearse, to be good enough to perform these things. So on our record, you know, I'm not singing with autotune. You know what I mean? You'll hear a flat note here and there, you know what I mean? Or a sharp note. And, but I love it because when I listen to Nirvana, that shit moves me, you know? And In Utero is one of my favorite records. He's flat on a lot of the songs, you know what I mean? But he sounds so fucking good. It's, it's how he wrote them, you know? And he even said, I want to make a record that I want to listen to, you know? And so that's what we did with Masato. We made a record we want to listen to. 
And, it's like when uh, you hear it's like when you hear those live tapes of Led Zeppelin, and you hear mm-hmm. Jimmy Page living on the edge with his guitar playing. Yeah. And some people call that sloppiness, right? Oh, he's too sloppy. But that's kind of just like rock and roll. Yeah, like it's very rock note and, and jamming and just the chaos and that edge. You know, it could all collapse at any moment, right? Yeah, it could all go off the rails and be a dumpster fire. But it's not. It stays on that track barely. Mm-hmm. And it gets through, and that's what makes it so awesome is that experience yeah. of hearing that. And you know, I, I, I run into these, I run into this every now and then online when someone tries to convince me that someone who develops samples is is if that's an instrument. And I'm like, no, yeah, what no. making the samples out of are the instruments. Yeah. Somebody it's... created over hours of slaving over something. And now someone's just picking apart that drum beat or that bass line or that guitar riff and sampling it in a song over and over again. That's not creating. That's stealing yeah. for someone else's benefit. That's not an instrument. Yeah, and think think about like that. There's a Jack Harlow song out right now, um, and it's got the Fergie um, sample, but he didn't change anything about the Fergie song. So it's really him rapping over a Fergie song, but they call it his song, and he's winning awards for it. I'm thinking... He did nothing. The producer literally, like, yeah, he can rap a little bit, but, like, musically, it's not creative and it's not really talented because the uh, the producer is just taking that little thing, putting it there. Okay, we have a hit already because it, it was a hit in 2000-whatever. All you have to do is put some words on it and we're going to the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? So it's, like, it's ridiculous. And uh, I fully agree with what you're talking about. That's why when we create, we we really make it a point not to pick anything off from from other other people, you know, because a lot of bands will do that even by accident. And it's uh, it's tough. You just really you really have to listen to a lot of music to catch those things, you know. Yeah. Well, my view on that is I don't mind if something sounds familiar or. You know, it's 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 lifted from another song. Mm-hmm. However, they're they're creating they're creating their own song and they're making it their own, right? I mean, you can still yeah. have you know a song that sounds familiar that's kind of lifted. I mean, Led Zeppelin did it all the time. Yeah, but those like songs Isley Zeppelin, Brothers. Yeah, those Led up those songs that Led Zeppelin did though are Led Zeppelin songs because they they are taken from the original, like babe, I'm going to leave you or, or, um, uh, you know, um, bring it at home or when the levy, yeah. but they became their song because they, 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 if they put their stamp on it, right. I'm okay with something like that. Like mm-hmm. I'm good with that. The issue then I have is like when something is like completely from the image to the music, it's like, yeah you know, what are you doing? Like everybody kind of knows what you're doing. And I guess for the younger generation who never had bands that they were sounding like, or they're emulating, I mm. guess it's good for those young kids to experience that. Yeah. Cause then they go back and go, you know, Oh, yeah. this is what it is. You know what I mean? But yeah, even in that case, it's like, it's like, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm very much about, it needs to sound like individuality. Like, like we talked well, it's about sound like you guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. so even when I listen to new bands, it's it's really tough for me to 
connect because I'm immediately like, you know, I hear the little, the little, I should, you know, sometimes you can hear the influence and that's, that's always it's fun to hear because you're like, oh, yeah. they listen to this and this and this, but it sounds like them, right? And even with our music, you can tell, oh, we listen to Queens of Stone Age, we listen to uh, Nirvana, we listen to this and this, but it doesn't sound like we're that actual band, you know what I mean? I'm not singing like Josh Homme, I'm not singing like Kurt, I'm singing like me, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. you know, and same thing with uh, Dietrich and Garrett and, and Jack, so it's just, uh, yeah, I, I hope things, uh, I think things will get better soon because... You know what they're doing right now? I noticed they're starting to switch all the pop people over to uh, rock. I noticed that, like, yeah, uh, they're, Demi- they're calling pop music rock music now because they need to win another award at the Grammys so they yeah. can they can increase their their streams and their and their album sales. Yeah, and their legacy. The yeah. um, but uh, but I do think it's a good thing, not because of that reason, but because the second that like labels and stuff in the industry start to see, Oh, rock's making a lot of money. Even if it's like pop rock and it's sounds like shit. If people like Demi Lovato and Miley Cyrus, who are currently making rock albums or continue to make rock, like money off that, they're going to start coming to find real rock bands. You know what I mean? Like the ones in our area that we play with. And, uh, and I feel like the real stuff's going to come up, you know, and, and, uh, start to be the forefront, which, I mean, you saw they did it with Mumble Rap. That didn't. That doesn't last. The only thing that lasts is real talent and work ethic, you know, and the real love of music, individuality, like we talked about. But, um, but I what's think the, at least it'll lead to that road. <laughs> Hopefully. What's the next vision for Masato? What's What's the plan? You know, we really wanted to do a music video. We tried, um, and we we uh had some scheduling conflicts so i would love to still do a music video on one of the songs um other than that still like like i talked about the touring um we're going to start playing those songs all the time and get in a van and go across the us and maybe even hopefully canada and uk uh cuz we've been trying to get out there for a while and uk keeps telling us come over and we're like we need a little bit more money and time and we'll be there, you know? So we're working on it. And, and yeah, so the next step for Misato really is like I said, uh music video and, and touring it a shit ton, you know, Mikey, this has been a good time. Good conversation. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. I'd love to come back next time. <laughs> Let's do it. When you start touring, you can come back on and we can uh, talk about the tour. Yes, sir. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. That is Mikey from the band Desert of Talking Shadows. Get their album Masato. It's on available. It's available on all streaming services. Go to their website, desertoftalkingshadows.com. It's got all their social media links. And is the vinyl still available or is that limited run over? The vinyl is still available. It is a limited run um, because by the time we tour and stuff, it will it will sell pretty quickly. When we play live, things start to sell. So yeah. Um Get them while you can, because I'm not sure if we're going to reprint them uh, for a while. So, Awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm Jay Scott. This has been another episode of the New Music Spotlight on the Hook Rocks. Take care of each other. Stay safe. We'll talk soon.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 